0: I'm Sean Ramisverum. I'm the host of Today Explained, a new show from Vox. It's an all-killer, no-filler daily news explainer that'll drop every afternoon. But not on the weekend. Our show's going to explain the news every way we know how. Clips, radio drama, maybe even a song.
1: Today, Today Explained. It's day explained.
0: Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.
2: From NBC Sports and Vox Media, this is The Podium.
0: So let's get into the head of Sean White. The shipment of the United Lindsay States. Lindsey Vonn, this is her chance now.
2: And I'm your host, Lauren Schott. Welcome to day nine of the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. Today in Pyeongchang, Ted Liggetty hoped to defend his 2014 gold medal in men's giant slalom. Reporter Tim Struby was there. He joins us in studio on the podium. Tim, welcome to you. The past couple of days I've been outside. It's been freezing. You go outside today and you're treated to beautiful weather.
3: It was like Pyeongchang beach weather is all <laughs> I can explain it. Uh, it was great. And while I was there, I caught up with Tiger Shaw, the president and CEO of the U.S. Ski and Stillboard Association. Ted's obviously looking to medal today. He'd love to win. He's won on this hill before World Cups. Years ago, his first win ever was on this hill. Ski racing is crazy in terms of its variability, so who knows what's going to happen. And I asked Shaw about Marcel Hersher, the man who was most likely to stand in the way of a legacy repeat. And Herscher's from Austria. He's won the last six World Cup titles. And his best events are slalom and giant slalom. Marcel is out for gold here. I mean, he is not messing around. So he's going to be the guy and the toughest guy to beat, for sure. As it turned out, Herscher was impossible to beat. He dominated en route to his first giant slalom Olympic gold medal, while Ligety couldn't recapture that magic, and he finished 15th.
2: So is this his last Olympic Games?
3: you know I think it may be he's 33 now this is his fourth Olympics but I mean he's had such a stellar career he's he's the only American male to have won two gold medals in alpine skiing
2: so there's a lot to be proud of to have four Olympics on your resume not bad Tim thanks so much appreciate it thank you alpine skiing's been part of the Winter Games since 1936 Freestyle events like moguls and slopestyle are much newer. Moguls started in 1992 in Albertville, aerials in 1994 in Lillehammer, and slopestyle just four years ago in Sochi. Johnny Mosley is one of the most influential freestyle skiers around. He cemented his place in Olympic history with a gold medal in moguls at the 1998 Nagano Games. And he's been pushing the sport forward from the beginning, inventing the dinner roll, an aerial trick with two rotations. At the 2002 Salt Lake Games, the judges ruled the trick illegal. Mosley didn't care. He went ahead with the dinner roll anyway and came in fourth. Nowadays, Mosley brings his passion for winter sports to the TV screen, working as an analyst for the Olympic Winter Games. I caught up with Johnny at the lobby of his hotel just a few hours after the women's aerials competition, and I asked him why, 20 years after he won gold, he still gets swept up in the emotion of the Olympics.
0: There's sometimes when I'm just kind of overcome, Uh, like last night, it was just the story started building itself. And we had a rookie named Maddie Olsen who really wasn't expected to go as far as she went and she just kept going and going. And At the end, she tried something she had never done to try to go for a medal. That's the way to kick it off in the finals. What a jump, I think that was even better than her Q1s. It's getting more emotional, that part of it. When I think about them in the gate and I then I even like even watching Michaela Schiffer and like stomping around getting ready for her slow run, that's just like, oh man, like it's just so rough to try to get in that zone and the stress leading up to the Olympics and the anxiety. I've always had a sympathy when I watch the Olympics. It's always brought me to tears. But it's becoming more and more so as I get older. Yeah, absolutely.
2: A lot of has been made about the weather, some athletes even going as far as to say it's unfair. What do you have to say about that?
0: Last night in aerials, women's aerials, we had wind and it was a swirling wind. The athletes had talked about it. They had competed here in the test event and they knew this hill was notorious for it. It was a swirling wind. It added to a bit of the drama because it came down to kind of the science of this like Belarusian guy who was like holding this wind meter. Like he would walk around a very stoic guy. I was like, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, he's, that's all he does for Belarus, he just does wind, that's all he does. So they were dealing with it. But there was some, some chatter that they, they thought it was a little bit of an unfair contest and a lot of people did crash. There were a lot of crashes in the contest. So uh, I think it, it has been an issue. I, I feel for the you know, international governing body, the Ski Federation that has to make the call, but in general, I think they shouldn't be worried to postpone these events until the weather is perfectly clear. Just, it doesn't matter if you do it on the last day of the Olympics or after the Olympics and shoot it for social. I I don't care. Like, make it the best possible conditions you could have for the Olympics.
2: I wanted to understand how this works. What do the officials do to decide whether an event should go forward? Mosley told me there's this official with what's called an anemometer, a device that measures wind speed.
0: And if it blows more than 10 meters per second, he holds the competitor, okay? When he feels like it's low, it blows the whistle, and you have 15 seconds to send your athlete. So the athlete stands at their start position. They have a coach standing right next to them. And then you've got the the wind guy down right in the spot in the transition, they don't want wind there. And so he's like on the radio, and he's reading the wind. And then he'll be like, okay, go, and they'll send the athlete. So they're looking for that three second window when the wind drops.
2: Mentally, on an athlete, take a, a girl like Michaela Schifrin. She had days off in between yeah. her scheduled runs. And then as a result of the wind, she had to go back to back. Does it change yeah. your perspective as an athlete that you think you have a day off, and now you don't?
0: No, absolutely. Any little changes affect you. when you're keyed up as much as, you know, Michaela was, or I was going to 98, where you're on, like, a regular schedule, and everything is down to the minute, and you've you've got your routine dialed, so stuff like that takes a lot of adjustment. One thing I noticed with Michaela is I was like, man, I was surprised she went to the medal ceremony, you know, like, because that's the type of stuff that gets you here at an Olympics, is these extraneous things, right, where you you know, on a World Cup, you compete back to back, you win your thing, you know, go home, do your thing. But here, you know, you, you got to go down, you get this, like, hour medal ceremony where you have to wait in a building and then they fill the stands and then you got to go out and get your medal You do some press. Like, that's what's hard about the Olympics is it's it's not the, the competing is all the same. Like, you do that on a daily basis. It's all this extracurricular stuff that's happening. Johnny,
2: used to be that action sports was the sport that, your grandma would go, oh, those crazy kids. Now it's kind of the epicenter of this Olympics. Why is that?
0: You're right. It used to be fringe, especially at the Olympics. And now it's become the center of the Olympics. And, I mean, we can go into the why and how. I think the simple answer is Sean White (laughs) is one of the big reasons for that. Okay, so he's amazing, and he is an incredible story and and he brings it all together. So he kind of anchors that when you're putting on a broadcast and you're putting together the the hype for the Olympics, like you can hang your hat on him.
2: And you are single-handedly credited with pushing the boundaries in moguls. How do you feel about that when you hear that statement?
0: It feels great, especially because you know it took me a while to get over getting trick. fourth. He's supposedly breaking out its most consistent trick in his bag, the dinner roll. But first, he has to get through the top section of the course. It's not all about even air though time, Steve, I you felt like I chance. had done something true to what I wanted to do, and I had made an impression and changed the rules. It still didn't. I still left my career on a like a fourth place, you know, which as a competitor, that's not it's not awesome, you know for all the uh, great reasons i had to do that to do the the dinner roll and all that stuff i can also think of things i could have done differently and i can rehash it that could be a bit of a problem trace but look at
3: him he's working the crowd that's what he's all about
0: but now oh, nice. to see sort of the trajectory of it all in full and to have even just like really the first time at this olympics to, to even have like all these kids that were competing here sort of speak to me and and post stuff on social that they got into it because they saw that. And, and so that's made me feel great.
2: You know, everything <laughs> is higher, faster, further. Every time I feel like I watch the Winter Games, at what point do we reach the pinnacle of human performance and it can't get any better?
0: I love this conversation. This is something I think about because I have kids as well, right? The seven and 10 and they, of course, love skiing. Of course, my oldest now loves freestyle and loves slope style, right? And slope style has just gone off the, the Richter scale. So it's gotten so crazy. I mean, the stuff they're doing, the, uh, I was just looking at it yesterday, the, the triple cork 1620, right? But yeah, the question is, where do you go from there? How big do you build these jumps? How much danger and risk are, is, is worth it, right? How big does that half pipe get? I don't know the answer. I mean, it's, you just have to kind of let it go and see what happens, but it's certainly pushing what the body can handle. I mean, in aerials, which is a more mature sport, right? It's been around longer. They've put a restriction on it, right? They had to put rules on it. You can't do four flips. Part of that is because they'd have to build the hill bigger. And part of it is danger. And part of it is like, well, where do we stop? Right. And, but the problem with that is it's kind of killing the sport. Like it's, no longer that interesting because everyone's doing the same thing they've been doing for years. These sports kind of are built on progression and doing new stuff, but where do you stop? I don't know.
2: If you could have the skill set of one Olympic athlete right now, who would it be?
0: I mean, my, my gut instinct is Sean is White. What he did is incredible in that you have to learn new tricks every year, basically complex tricks and every time you go to learn one of those you pay the pay the price you crash and you and you hurt yourself so having to learn wholly new skills that you didn't even know that some kid learned you know made up and then you have to adapt it when you're 30 years old or whatever is insane and then to be able to span that over what four olympics and step up in the moment three times and win I mean, that's like the combo of mental, mental and physical freakishness that I'm not sure we'll ever see again.
2: I love your passion for the Winter Games, Johnny. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Johnny Mosley was able to sustain a career beyond the lifespan of his athletic ability. I've been wondering how these athletes see their life after competition. Yesterday, we spoke to free skier Devin Logan. We asked her to take the long view of her career.
1: Here's what she said. A lot of skiers like that aren't too that don't like the contest scene, you can move on to kind of the film scene and the big mountain scene, and it's a little bit different, but it's cool because you can definitely prolong your career in a sense. And you know, that's that's part of my plan. I want to be a well-rounded skier. So after the competition's over and I don't want to do them anymore and be judged, <laughs> um, you know,
2: I can do what I want. And Danny Davis is a great example of an action sports athlete who has a thriving career for himself outside of competition.
3: This right here, that's his power move.
2: Davis came in 10th place at the 2014 Sochi Games. He's also won two X Games gold medals in superpipe and a silver in the dual slalom. But his interests go far beyond what he can do on the snow. He runs a music festival and is a partner in a headphone company. And his winter sports background enables him to pursue a longtime passion, filmmaking. Davis is sponsored by Burton and being a brand ambassador allows him to travel around the world riding good snow in the backcountry for Burton's snowboard films, sort of bringing his career full circle.
4: I think I remember getting my first snowboard movie when I was like 11 or 12 years old, and that was like, once I saw that, that's when I wanted to be a professional snowboarder, you know, these guys, you know, they got to ride killer snow a lot of the year, they got to go, and then in the summer, go ride these glaciers with half pipes and jumps, and it just, you know, these videos were really the soul behind snowboarding, the 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 culture behind snowboarding, the contests, I didn't watch so much in the beginning, because it just at that time it wasn't televised the internet wasn't something that was streaming contests Um it just you know the technology just wasn't there
2: some snowboarders think competition undermines the essence of the sport expression and creativity when he got into the sport davis says contests were just how riders proved themselves to get a following for their videos he thinks movies are a better reflection of a snowboarders range of skills and versatility
4: not just what you do in the half pipe or on a slope style course but what you do in the backcountry, maybe what you do in a slopestyle or a halfpipe course as well. It's just, you know, it's the snowboarder you are and, and it's what kids I think can watch again and again and again and get really stoked on you as a rider.
2: Some riders dream of Olympic gold, others of exploring their sport in the backcountry and documenting their journeys on video. And although they don't have the pressure that comes along with competition, riders who choose to build their careers on the film circuit aren't taking the easy route. Davis says it's hard work.
4: They're getting up at 3, 4 in the morning, you know, a lot of days to just get out on their snowmobile and go build a big jump or go hike out and ride some some line that they've been looking at for a really long time. And, you know, that's what really separates snowboarding from a lot of Olympic sports or a lot of sports in general, you know, is that um, there's this whole other culture, whole other side to snowboarding that has nothing to do with competition. Um, and that is you know filming i mean you're not going to see you know Lindsey Vaughn go film a, a downhill ski part or something you know but you're going to see you know um you know a big mountain skier go film a video part or something you know uh when you look at like you know a lot of these free skiers they have the same thing you know but when you look at figure skating or, um, speed skating or something, it's all about competition. It's all about being the fastest. And in snowboarding, I think what's so rad is it's, it's about being the most creative. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's not about being the fastest. It's about, it's about, you know, doing your own thing and people loving it.
2: Davis's videos focus on the creative, the stylistic culture of snowboarding, and explore how skateboarding and surfing have influenced his sport. He also sees the value in snowboarding at the Olympics as part of his life's mission to push the sport forward. More exposure equals more fans. Showing snowboarding in a positive light grows the sport and ultimately makes it possible for a career like his to exist. It's that constant source of exploration that keeps Davis fulfilled long after his days on the snow are over.
4: I like to get out there and film. I like to get out there and hike in the mountains and climb some peaks and get my ice axe out. And, um, you know, I I think there's always more to learn in snowboarding, and that's something that's that uh, makes it so interesting to me, is uh, you're kind of never done, you've never completely figured snowboarding out, so there's always something else to kind of explore into.
2: Coming into the 2018 games, Nathan Chen was a favorite for a figure skating medal. At just 18 years old, he'd already won a Grand Prix Final and back-to-back national championships. Expectations were high, and so was the pressure. After a wobbly debut in the team event, Chen went into his short program and fell on his opening quadruple lutz. He failed to land a single clean jump after that. But Chen bounced back in the free skate and made Olympic history. He landed an unprecedented five quad jumps and came in fifth overall. When I sat down with Chen, I asked him about the pressure. Coming into the Winter Games as the face of American figure skating.
1: Before the Olympics, I definitely did feel a lot of pressure in regards to that. Um, I tried to, tried to deny it as much as I could to myself, to the media and everything, but I think it was definitely there, and I think that definitely showed in the short.
2: The short program, a little bit of a struggle. Looking back now, what was your takeaway?
1: I really just put a lot of pressure on myself to hit those jumps, and my confidence level wasn't necessarily there and I honestly just you know dwelled on that too much and I didn't let myself just naturally do the jumps as they should be done and I was super cautious super timid on every single element throughout the entire performance and um, that's just not the right way to compete that's not the right way to skate and in hindsight I really shouldn't have done that
2: Scott Hamilton said that was today tomorrow's up to you you come back Nathan and you completely nail it after that performance that moment what was that like for you
1: It was incredible, and I was so happy that I was able to at least end my Olympic experience with a good skate, a skate that, you know, I will be able to remember um, fondly. And, I mean, I'm really glad that I tried the six quads. It was sort of a relatively game-time decision. After the short program, I was so low in the placement. I really had absolutely nothing to lose. And I just wanted to, you know, go out there and try to prove to myself and prove to everyone else that what I did in the short is not really a representation of what I've worked for and what I'm capable of doing. And I had almost no nerves, really. It was all just like get through this, let's do this. For
2: an athlete coming into the Olympics for the first time, what advice would you give them?
1: I think that the advice that I would give them is just to be at the Olympics for yourself. Don't feel as though you're doing it for anyone else. And once you start thinking about medals and the colors of the medals and all of those, you know, expectations, you just end up, you know, holding yourself back. And it prevents you from even reaching those goals, which definitely happened to me here. And, I think just focusing on performing at the very best that you can do, putting in the best effort, and just letting the results happen is the best approach.
2: Nathan, I know figure skating is your first love. I hear NBA is your second.
1: I'm sort of like getting into the NBA a lot more than I had in the past, and it's something that I really like doing in my free time now. It's sort of a hobby to just follow what they're doing, what's going on in the NBA. Speaking of which, Donovan Mitchell just threw it down in the the dunk (laughs) challenge, so crazy happy for him it's something that I like to do in my free time and also I do have a little side Instagram account that I do to because like everything my my feet is like completely just encompassed by skating stuff what's going on in the world and skating and when I'm at a competition or training that's not really what I want to focus on I want to just have time away from skating to you know follow things that I really enjoy and it's not all just basketball it's also like food and also like you know a bunch of other just little random things like that so um i I do have like i do have a separate instagram for that
2: what's your team who's your player
1: i mean i i love lebron i'm a huge fan of lebron jazz is definitely my number one team i'm from salt lake city so definitely feel a lot of hometown pride with that i like the Cavs. i like the celtics i like okc and i think lebron's still my favorite player
2: if you could compare the way one player a specific player plays basketball to the way you skate who would that player be
1: It would be hard for me to compare specifically to a player but there are things from various players that i want to take away for instance like with russ he's just like he literally doesn't care he just like charges he's so powerful he gets what he wants and he'll he'll do whatever it takes to get what he wants and lebron you know he's just been dominant for so long and he you know it's the seasons are so long and they're able to maintain themselves and still perform at an extremely high standard every single night
2: nathan thank you so much thank you very much Tonight in primetime on NBC, it's the first of two nights of ice dancing with several U.S. medal hopefuls in competition. There will also be medals awarded in the women's 500-meter in speed skating and in the men's team relay in cross-country skiing. Our show producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. Our executive producer is Nishat Kirwa. Special thanks to Rebecca Chapman, John Howe, Eileen Sokol. And Tess Quinlan. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC. And you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. I'm Lauren Shahadi. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.